0: Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors.
1: Hello, this is Nathan Cornish-Raley. Today's guests and I are speaking to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people. Today, I'm happy to welcome Nicola Dan back to the podcast to talk about adult learning styles and how understanding these can inform the support that supervisors offer to speech pathologists. Nikki is a speech pathologist with over 35 years of experience. She runs Communicate Consultancy, a private practice in Melbourne. Thanks for joining us today, Nikki.
0: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: It's great to have you with us. Uh, To get us started, can you tell us a bit about how you got interested in the topic of supervision and the work that you've done to skill up in this area?
0: Sure. Um, So as as you mentioned, I've been a speechy for a very long time. Um, I started my um, professional journey working in the adult neuro area. So I was working in inpatient rehab um, type facilities and went through that very traditional um, learning around how to provide supervision to students who were coming into the, to the rehab facility, as well as I, I moved up to grade two and grade three and, and was responsible for supervising grade one and grade two speech pathologists. Um, and so the, my training in supervision was very speech pathology centric and fairly, I, I would say fairly traditional. Um, and I remember when, close to when I left uh, working for it was Southern Health then it's Monash Health now, um, having a speechy who was supervising and I just couldn't, the, the, the supervision model that, um, that I'd be trained in just didn't seem to be working with this particular person. Anyway, so I ended up having a change in direction and I went to work for a non for profit organisation called Melbourne City Mission. And I was in a more of a management, um, like a frontline management role. And I had responsibility for supervising case managers, um, support workers, um, accommodation workers um and none of these people were speeches they were um they had different they were either from different professional backgrounds so social work psychology ot or they actually hadn't um hadn't had a university um education and had moved through perhaps from being a disability worker and then become a case manager so that was uh, that was a real um a real learning curve for me because here I was supervising people who weren't speeches and so I really had to think about what supervision actually was and I was very very privileged to be able to um, get some really great supervision training from a woman called Glenn Oka who has sadly passed away but she formed the Group Work Institute of Australia and I, I was exposed to supervision in a much Broader way than I had been through our profession to date, um, and you know, I learned a lot of um, a lot of counselling micro skills through that supervision training, and I was able to kind of put aside the clinical element of supervision uh, and look at the other aspects of supervision and really develop my skills in those areas because, of course, I wasn't providing clinical supervision to the people I was supervising at Melbourne City Mission, so um, through that training. And through working for that organisation, that had a really strong, uh, really really strong uh, belief in supervision right up to um, the CEO, we all we were all being supervised and receiving supervision th- through GroupWorks Australia. Um, I basically did some supervision um, projects and delivered or, or rolled out supervision to parts of Melbourne City Mission that didn't have supervision. Um, and then when I left Melbourne City Mission, I just continued my journey of learning about supervision and doing supervision training. Um, and I did... There's a couple of trainings that really stood out to me, or three, actually, that really stood out to me after the group works one. One was um, at Bovary, uh, Bouvery Family Therapy Centre, which is now part of La Trobe. Um, I did a six day supervision training course with them and that was absolutely fantastic. Um, mainly, um, mainly the, and mainly, the, and the material mainly came from the psychology field because obviously they've been, and social work field because they've been doing supervision for a really long time uh, in their professions. Um, and then I did, uh, I've done strength based supervision training through um, St. Luke's, which is an organisation in Bendigo. And I've also done some supervision training through Delta Consulting um, and Delta Consulting is run by a woman called Michelle Bahari, and she's an occupational therapist um, and has really done a lot of really great packaging of supervision concepts to make them really easy for people, new supervisors to understand. Hmm. So, yeah, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty enthusiastic about yeah, that supervision.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds like you're really committed to your, your own learning in this space. Yeah. And you know, I, I think some speech pathologists might be listening to this and, and thinking, you know, we, we gain a skill set that we bring to the work um, that we do as supervisors or practice educators, you know, uh, in the training that we get as speech pathologists. You know, we learn right. to do things like set appropriate goals or structure a learning plan and scaffold support. Mm-hmm. So with that background in our speech pathology training, why would... Uh, a speech pathologist seek additional training or support on how to provide supervision.
0: Yeah, because I think um, I mean one of the things is that that supervision, the provision of professional or, or the provision of clinical supervision to professionals, so so working speech pathologists, is a lot more than just um, imparting clinical expertise or in, imparting clinical wisdom. Um, there is obviously an overlap of some of the skills, but there's a there's really an additional skill set that needs to be acquired for supervision, a, along with um, a good understanding of a number of different frameworks and concepts and models that are key to um, providing effective supervision. In terms of the skills, uh, you know, I've mentioned the counselling micro skills. I think that's really important. You know, we do a species. We do use them, but I think it is really good to get training on those, really practice those skills in in a sort of a supervisory context. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it's important to develop skills around how to contract with your supervisee, and I think that speaks to, um, you know, adult learning principles that we'll probably go into a little bit more in our conversation. Um and also, you know, you do need to have an understanding of uh, development of self-reflection and, and the stages of that uh, and have your own, obviously, have worked on your own um, critical reflection skills. Um You know, supervision training also helps and training or or supervision, supervision, Mm -hmm. (laughs) supervision around providing supervision Mm -hmm. um, can help you have a clear understanding of the functions of supervision. Um, So there's really four, um, as you probably know, Nate, four functions of supervision, which are the educative or coaching function, the support function, the accountability function and the reflective function. And it's important to understand those different functions and know: Are you covering those functions? Uh, what's your remit? Are you providing internal, external supervision? Are you a line manager? Um, and so, w- what are you do? Where, where are those functions of supervision being met? If they're not being met in your supervision sessions with that person, um, the other thing that training is really helpful for is understanding the different models of supervision and the different approaches to supervision. And knowing where your what your approach is. So, for me, um, just reflecting on supervision, um, I use a combination of models. So, and it is good to, to be able to know, okay, so, I, you know, I use a combination of de- de- developmental, strength based, and I also use the seven eyed model of supervision that comes from Hawkins and Sohet. Um, and now I don't always, with the seven eyed supervision model. I don't always unpack that with a with a supervisee. I do with some, but I have that I have that model in my mind when I'm when I'm supervising the the um, speechy and where they may be in terms of their development. Um, along with all of that, I think um, you need some understanding in adult learning and the different styles of. Uh, and different preferences, of, of different learning preferences that people have, um, as well as being able to um, have a really strong um, interest and um, understanding of ethics because ethi- ethical issues occur all the time mm-hmm. and that's why we have supervision, to be able to unpack those ethical issues. Um, and finally, a, a good understanding of burnout and compassion fatigue. um mm-hmm and vicarious trauma, I think, understanding those concepts are, are really key. So you may get some of that in, in, in depending on where you're working and the environment you're working in as a speechy, but bringing that, those concepts specifically to a supervision or a supervisory relationship, I think, is um, will be effective if the person has done training.
1: So I think speech pathologists will be familiar with different um learning styles of, of children and adolescents, but how are adult learning styles similar or different to child and adolescent learning?
0: Yeah, I think the, um, the, the, the key difference is that adults have had a lifetime of experiences. So when they're exposed to the new information or the new materials, what they draw from it, the, the sense they make of that information, the meaning they make is going to be unique to each individual because of that their their different um, journeys to date. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, the other thing is that adults are usually um, highly motivated and self-directed in their learning, and so they need to be involved in the planning and evaluation of their own learning. Um, children... Tend to be better at rote learning, um, and adults tend to be better at understanding and applying new concepts. So, I guess um, adults probably have a preference for learning by solving problems. So, um, you know that talks to some of the processes that the processes that, um, uh, the processes that um, are used with adults. So, things like problem based learning. Um, using case studies and then experiential learning, so that's just actually being being in the learning or doing whatever it is that needs to be done to learn. Um, so that, of course, has implications for for supervision. So it's important to bring those adult learning principles to um, to the supervisory process. So um, you know the the, the learning and the supervisory process needs to be driven by the learner. Hmm. Um, we need to make sure that the goals are identified by the learner or the supervisee, um, that the supervision contract or the supervision agreement is developed, um, it's executed and reviewed collaboratively, um, and that the unique learning style of the learner is recognised and accounted for. Um, and that real... And I mean, you know, this... Does happen in supervision, kind of instinctively, but that real current challenges and problems um, that the learner is facing in their work in their workplace are used. So, so for example, um, if you're talking about an assessment or a new assessment tool, it's much better for the supervisee to bring their assessment results and 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 their attempt at interpreting the assessment results on a particular case than just talking about the assessment um, in a vacuum hmm. um, similarly if we're talking about something like neuroaffirming practice that the, those principles and the the concepts surrounding neuroaffirming practice are embedded in the work that someone is doing with a particular client or the group of particular clients and what you know what are the you know what's working what's not working in those particular situations
1: hmm. yeah well, and it seems like part of the process too is for the supervisee to reflect on their own learning style and to be able to learn how to articulate it and kind of ask for the support yeah. and the learning that they need.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, and and I think um, you know we've spoken broadly about general adult learning principles, but there are within within the the learning cycle there are identified as four particular learning preferences or styles mm. um, so there is the there's the activist there's the reflector the theorist and the pragmatist and there um, there is a questionnaire that's developed by um, honey and Mumford um, that helps people to identify their learning style or their learning preferences um, and that can be really helpful um, because knowing your your preference or your learning style or your learning preference, um, that then dictates what activities you're going to prefer, what ac- what learning activities are going to be more effective for you. So that can be brought into the supervision process. At the same time, though, ideally we want to be using all four um, learning styles because that's going to make us a more effective learner. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people do, um, as I say, tend to preference one or two of those styles. And so a supervisor can kind of work with the supervisee around challenging them to try some activities that might, you know, might get them to use the other learning styles and you know get a um, get a more effective um, learning process going on. Hmm. Um, yeah, and then you can. There's also patterns that can occur. So, for example, in myself, I'm I tend to be an active learner and a reflector so that there I'm an activist and a reflector and you can get into problems if you're not going around the circle and doing the theorising and the problem solving because you just get into this act, reflect, act, reflect. So it just becomes error correction. So there are some patterns that can occur as well. So um, sometimes um, supervisees have really good um, and, and a really good sense of their learning style and are very, very articulate about what they need and, and the best ways they can learn. Um, and then for other supervisees, they, they actually enjoy the process of doing the questionnaire and getting the results and then learning about the different learning styles and seeing, you know, oh, that makes sense that, you know, I find this particular environment difficult because I'm a reflector and it's a very fast-paced working environment and I, get, I don't get time to think about what I've done. Hmm. So it can
1: be yeah really helpful. Yeah. Well, and as we as a profession learn more about neurodiversity affirming practices, I imagine that um, some of the reflection that uh, neurodivergent speech pathologists do and yes. um, their own learning styles can would come into play in uh, supervision.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Because with the um, what I've talked about in terms of those learning styles, that that they came, that was developed by Honey and Mumford, who used the Kolb uh, learning style and stages. And so on that you've got you've got seeing, thinking, doing. I can't remember the fourth one, (laughs) Um, but anyway, but so, so therefore, you know, you know, for some uh, of our neurodivergent um, supervisees, uh, you know, maybe visual material or or, or learning visually or learning kinesthetically is going to be much, much better for them than reading or listening to somebody talk.
1: Yeah. Well, like any other human being, um, speech pathologists go through different stages of development and learning. Mm. Um, and so what can you tell us about the stages that adults go through and how the role and skills that a supervisor um, uses should adapt to those? Yeah. Stages?
0: So um, there, are, there are some different kind of models around um, these stages. Um, and... What I'm going to talk about, um, I just need to put some caveats around. So, you know, we need to take into account individual supervisees' unique set of experiences, so where they've come from. So, for example, somebody might might have worked as a teacher for many, many years and then has retrained as a speechy. So, you know, they may come in as a novice in some ways, but in other ways, they you know they have highly developed skills in in all sorts of other areas. So the stages that I talk about just it's very much um, yeah it just needs to be thought about and not applied in a kind of a, in a really rigid manner, I guess. Um, and I, and that'll become a bit more apparent when I talk about the stages. So the first stage and these these stages um, were developed by. Um, Butler in 1996 um in uh and was published. it was an article published in the Australian Journal of Education so it comes from the teaching um field so we've got a novice and so the novice is someone is a clinician who needs a lot of guidance who's um really uncertain about their practice might be feeling quite overwhelmed and brings lots and lots of problems to to supervision and the the role of a supervisor in that uh at that stage would be educative um, and providing a lot of really direct direct teaching a lot of direct support um and yeah and and really looking at um the acquisition and consolidation of really specific skills um the next stage is advanced beginner um and the supervisor or the speech is becoming is is less overwhelmed and it's at this stage that they're really ripe for being able to start to develop their capacity for more reflective learning and, and developing that that ability to self-reflect and reflect in action rather than on, on action as later on. Um, so um, at this stage, there is, there's still that educative function, but um, the supervision is becoming a bit more facilitatory and um, the, the supervisor will be starting to ask some reflective type questions. Um, the next stage is the competence stage, and this is where the a speechy or a supervisee would have greater ownership of their own professional and personal development. Um, and the supervisor is really more much more facilitatory, has a more facilitatory role there. Um, through active listening and asking reflective questions. Then we've got the proficient stage. Um, that's really self-directed. And supervision becomes much more of a consultative kind of process where the where the supervisor is checking in and just kind of um, sharing their thoughts um, and wanting to hear the supervisor's thoughts. And then the last stage is expert wise. Um, and, you know, this is where Speeches really value the thinking, getting the thinking space of supervision, having that protected time where they can really unpack um, their thoughts and feelings about a particular situation. Um, And this is at this stage, the supervisor would be also encouraging peer supervision. Um, And um, yeah, and really, really starting to look at at. their own emotional responses to a client, the client's family, um, their relationship to the supervisor and the impact the supervisor is having on them. So really being able to look much more broadly um, beyond the clinical work that they're doing with the, with the client.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you talked about this a bit in the last podcast episode that you recorded with us and, but, you know, think about the, the proficient and the expert wise stages. Um, you know, I, I think the role of supervision in our profession is sometimes misunderstood as something that's specifically for new grads and early career speeches. Um, so much so that sometimes more experienced professionals can find it confronting to engage in supervision, but what are your thoughts on supervision at different career stages?
0: Yeah, well, um, I, as I said in the previous podcast, I think every every speech pathologist, regardless of wow. how many years they've been in the profession, need to have regular supervision. Hmm. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that for someone at that expert wise stage, one of the things that can occur is that we have become, and I, you know, I I see this in myself at times. We become so, um, uh, our our skills have become so refined that a lot of what we end up doing, well, a lot of what we're doing, it it feels instinctive and it becomes instinctive and we can actually forget how to explain what we're doing or how to explain concepts um, because it's all, it's a bit like, you know, somebody saying to you, tell me step-by-step how to drive a car, Um, you know, you really have to think about it. Um, and so, you know, getting, getting supervision can be a really good way of helping someone develop their what we call reflective competence, which is the ability to articulate and explain their skills to somebody else. And so, at that expert wise level, if they're not doing it already, supervision would be very much about encouraging them to, to present, to do something like a podcast, um, to do some teaching. So, to, yeah, to be able to share, share their practice wisdom. Um, the, I supervise a, a few um, wise, very wise speech pathologists, very expert speech pathologists. And, um, yeah, so it, it, the relationship with one of them is very much about supporting her to really um, share her incredible skills with our community. Um, she's, she's an amazing speech pathologist and, um, has a lot of wisdom. And so, yeah, so really encouraging her to, to do presentations and, um, and workshops and so on. And, and somebody else I'm thinking about uses supervision really, really beautifully around thinking about the impact of some of her very complex clients on herself um, thinking about when she's triggered and what she needs to do in those situations. Really looking very deeply at um, why an intervention might not be working and what you know what the, the what the barriers are uh, in terms of the, that really co- a really complex situation. Um, and looking after herself. Um, really having someone that she meets up with once a month. Checking in about her self care and her self compassion, and yeah, and making sure that she's not burning out.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Because
0: we can burn out at any stage.
1: Indeed. <laughs> no, yeah. that's that's great insight on the different roles that supervision mm. can take, and um, including our, you know, emotional and mental well being. Mm. Um, and. You know, you mentioned this earlier, but I think receiving supervision and, and the supervision that we provide—you know, the support mm. that we provide to
0: others—is
1: mm. uh, a, a helpful process to those who have more experience.
0: Yeah, and I think about my own um, supervision. So, I—I I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast. I—I I will get, I will seek specific clinical supervision with someone who's very experienced if I have a particular client where I haven't worked with that particular condition for a period of time and that's really helpful because our field is constantly being updated and it's really hard to stay in touch with everything Um, and also I I get supervision from a clinical psych um, who works in the same field as I do and you know there are times when there are really, for example, really tricky um, uh, husband-wife dynamics where the you know one is my client and the other is the partner of the client, and I'm you know I'm maybe personally struggling with the way the, the partner is interacting and, and communicating with with the client, and I'm struggling to have any impact in that situation. It's really great to be able to bring something like that to supervision and work through it. To see, you know, what what can, what might be able to change, and whether that's just me being able to accept the dynamic um, and not and and, and stay neutral, um, or there may be there may be something that can be done.
1: Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, and you mentioned that your own journey into supervision involved providing some interdisciplinary supervision to others, and I mm. think that's an important thing for speech pathologists to. Um, to understand is that, uh, you know, after reflection, there are aspects of the, of our practice where we can get support from people who are not speech pathologists. Um, mm. And um, we recently, the, the association recently updated the position statement on professional support to hopefully make that a little more clear and provide guidance to members. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we've talked about different learning styles and stages of development. Um, I wondered if there are other principles of adult learning that would be helpful for our listeners to understand.
0: Well, I think um, we corresponded, Nate, about the a little bit about the um, the conscious competence uh, model. Hmm. learning model that you referenced in uh a recent speak out. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. So so th- this this model actually um comes from uh, a guy called no Noel, Noel Birch from the 1970s. Um which this is a very long time ago but but <laughs> it's been it's kind of been worked on and and reworked over the years and he he was a he was an educator. So um and this this model really sits nicely actually with the with the stages of supervision um or practitioner development that I've just talked about um and the the stages are there's there's four stages but then Michelle Bahari uh, who I spoke of earlier has added a fifth one so there's the unconscious incompetence stage which is when you don't know what you don't know and then there's the conscious conscious incompetence stage which is when you do know what you don't know and that's when you're panicking because you realize that you don't know much (laughs) and you really need supervision and then you go to the conscious competence stage um, which is where you know that you can do it but you probably need a lot of practice 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 to get it automatic and then there's the Fourth stage is the unconscious competence stage, which is where you can do something without thinking. And, and this is, you know, this goes back to this idea of having supervision when you are, you know, very experienced, so that you can actually move to a fifth stage that Michelle Bahari has identified, which is the reflective competence stage, which is when you can articulate. So even, th- even things like um, modifying the way you talk with uh, somebody who has aphasia. If you've been working in that, you know, if you've been working with people like that for a long time, a lot of what you do is just just so automatic, but being able to then, you know, really very um, successfully describe those strategies to the people in that, um, that person's life, you know, is, is important to do. And if, you've, if it's become really automatic, sometimes you, you don't realise that you actually do have to um, educate people around those strategies. Hmm. So yeah so that's that's um you know that's a really I think a really great model to think about um and yeah and in that as i said in that reflective competence stage that's when you can teach your skills to other people hmm yeah, yeah. and it's a good way of knowing whether you've really understood something too
1: yeah yeah so then how does understanding like these learning styles help us with our own learning as supervisors
0: so, I guess I think the thing is um, if you apply so for example you're applying the conscious competence learning matrix to being a supervisor um, I think that and and applying adult princ- uh, adult learning principles just generally to being a supervisor you know I imagine that many Speechies find themselves in in the process of becoming a supervisor to a to a, a less experienced uh, speechy and then it's at that point they really need to start thinking oh actually I might not know what I'm doing here so <laughs> <laughs> it would be a good. This would be a good time to get some supervision training, or training. So to do a course, as we talked about, there are lots of different courses out there, or to seek supervision about their supervisory practice, mm. um, so that they get support and learning through that in that way. And there may be, you know, within within, um, a, a, you know, a lot of organisations, there is that capacity for. Uh, you know, a a very senior speechy to provide supervisory support to a speechy who is learning how to supervise. So that's really great. Um, But, you know, in other organisations that there isn't that support and I think it's really important for them to do that training or to seek that support. Um, And, you know, there are, you know, those those five stages that I talked about in terms of the conscious competence learning matrix sit alongside the um the stages going from novice to expert wise learner and so you know there's obviously a set of skills that go that correspond in terms of being a supervisor um so for example if you've got somebody who has unconscious incompetence you know, as a supervisor, you're going to be sp- speaking reasonably directly about with them about the bits of their work that they don't, you know, that they're not, they haven't developed competence in, um, and and then you're going to be moving right through to r- supporting someone to kind of spread their wings and fly, really, um, and you know, and share share their knowledge with the with the community, with the professional our professional community.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, as we are wrapping things up, I just wondered if you had any final thoughts that you wanted to share with our listeners.
0: I think the most important thing in being a supervisor is to remember that just that fundamental adult learning principle that adults all have, they're all individuals, they've had a, a, you know, a lifetime of all sorts of different experiences. So you really, as a supervisor, regardless of whether they're at a novice stage or, at, you know, the most, you know, at a wise expert stage, you really have to take their lead um, and work work with them to identify what it is that they want to learn and then really you are there supporting them and keeping them on track, reminding them of what they you know what they wanted to get out of supervision. Checking in that, that has that changed, or you know, are they? Uh, how are we going? Are we on track? Um, so that it is, so it's not just um, a monthly debriefing session. That there is a, a, a piece of continuous learning that is different from going to a seminar or going to a workshop. It's much. It's a much more personal journey that's
1: intertwined with professional development. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's great guidance. Yeah, on supervision. Thank you.
0: And I guess the only other two things is I know that reading reading textbooks is, is a little bit old hat and passe these days. <laughs> <laughs> but but there are two there. Are, I guess there are basically two Bibles um, that I use. Uh, one is um, supervision in the helping professions, and it's in its fourth edition. And that's by Peter Hawkins and Robin Sh- Shohet. Um, and I've got it all. You can see my little bookmarks there. And the other one is Best Practice in Professional Supervision by Alison Davies and Liz Bedo. And that's in its second edition. So you can put them in the, in the podcast notes. But I, I, I refer to them all the time. Okay, so,
1: yeah. yeah. And we definitely will include uh, links to those and any of the resources that you think might be helpful in the show notes yeah yeah well nicola dan thanks for speaking with us today
0: thanks so much Nate. it's been really great to share my passion
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we appreciate that you did and thank you to our listeners please join us again next week for another episode of speak up
0: we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye
1: for now.